Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. More than 5 million Americans have Alzheimer's disease, including 30,000 in Utah. They, along with their 152,000 family caregivers, face the highest rate per capita of disease in the nation. In 2015, the Utah State Legislature declared Alzheimer's a public health crisis, directing the Utah Department of Health to coordinate and implement the state's response to this growing crisis. And as a part of the state's Alzheimer's plan, the Department of Health has been certifying instructors in dementia dialogues. That's a course designed to educate families and individuals caring for persons with Alzheimer's disease or related dementias. We're going to talk about dementia and its impact on our communities and our families. Uh, on the program uh, today. So we welcome in Dennis Wildman, who is Alliance Director with uh, Sunshine uh, Terrace. Uh, Among your other titles, I'm sure. Thanks for uh, joining us. Thank you. We're excited to be here today. Amy Anderson, the Director of Outreach with Sunshine Terrace, also Spiritual Counselor with the Hospice there, is uh, joining us. Thank you. Thanks for letting us be here, Tom. And Beth Fouth is Associate Professor in the Department of Human Development and Family Studies at Utah State University. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you. Um, I want to, before we jump into Alzheimer's um, and, uh, and Dementia Dialogues, um, well, let me first give out the phone number. If uh, you are caring for someone in your family, if uh, you're dealing with a family member with Alzheimer's or dementia, we would uh, love to get your question or comment. Your experience uh, would be very helpful. You can call us to 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or you can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. I'm always interested to see how people got into their uh, their uh, field of work, maybe starting with you, uh, Dennis. How did you get into this well, field? Uh- Great question. Thank you. I'm actually a a native here from Cache Valley, and uh, I had the opportunity to attend Utah State on a football scholarship, and I went to University of Utah for my post-work. But being raised here, I have a vested interest in this population. I was sharing with Dr. Faust earlier that what a beautiful thing this is late in my career that I actually get to take care of the people who took care of me. had the opportunity to care for one of my scoutmasters growing up and one of my elementary school teachers. But uh, being a local kid, I see that there's a big need for this and an opportunity for us to provide some opportunity and resources for people. Wonderful. Uh, Amy Anderson. That's a really big question, mm-hmm. but I think the, the primary reason that I feel so invested in helping families understand um, dementia is because my mother had Alzheimer's disease and actually passed away 11 years ago last month from it. So I know how troubling it is for a family. I know the denial, I know the pain, but I also know the joy of helping to care give for somebody with dementia. And I just want to make sure others have the appropriate resources so they're feeling confident that they're doing the best thing they can for the person that they love. Mm. And Beth Fouts. Yeah, sometimes I think people fall into their careers by accident. Um, When I was in high school, I wanted to get some waitressing experience because I thought that was the quickest way to make a buck. (laughs) <laughs> and nobody wanted to hire a 16-year-old except for the nursing home. So uh, I started working uh, in assisted living uh, mostly as a waitress um, and had some other roles. And I realized I absolutely loved the population. Um, had a lot of patience with older people that I, I didn't always have with other, with other age groups. And, uh, yeah, I went to college thinking, going into healthcare, care. Um, and then really my senior year was the year that I realized this is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, took some courses and remembered those experiences of working with older people and realizing that I wanted to do something on behalf of them. Um, so got involved in research and teaching. Uh, I should mention you uh, you studied gerontology um, uh, 
of course, uh, dementias, but also uh, caregivers, right? Effects yeah, my, on, on my research has focused a lot on the experiences of caregivers. So, um, you know, just understanding the amount of stress that they're under and also looking at ways to reduce the, that stress through different um, interventions and also focusing on the positive experiences they have. So when I got into this research, there was a lot of focus kind of just on the negatives. And um, over time, we've realized there's a lot of positive experiences caregivers can have. So I, I really focus on both. And um, also from there, started looking at quality of life for the person with dementia. So when they're um, living at home or living, let's say, in assisted living, what are some things we can do to give them the highest quality of life? Um, so, yeah, trying to look at it really from kind of a dyadic perspective, both the caregiver and the person that's, that's dealing with the disease themselves. We'll refer people, uh, to our listeners, to a TED Talk that Beth Bath uh, gave. Uh, the, the title, I love the title, Finding Joy in an Alzheimer's Reality. So we'll be referring to this as we go along. You can look that up. Uh, I just Googled TED Talk uh, Beth Bouth, and it came came right up. I wonder, before we leave this, if you could tell us about the lady that you talk about at the beginning of your TED Talk. Yeah, so uh, again, this is, I, I think I'm 16 or 17 years old, and um, there was a woman that would sit at the, the dining room table in the assisted living, and she, she hardly ever spoke. She Actually, all she would say was, coffee 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 and so um she just kind of cracked me up she had a um she always dressed really kind of in these in these fancy outfits and um I looked over I mean really the first day I think I met her I looked over and she was um taking the coffee creamers from the center of the table they were in these little packets peeling them back and shooting them like it was a a shot of tequila or something like that. So, <laughs> you know, I think um, I never want to laugh at people with dementia, but I think one thing I really loved working with them is there's a lot of things to enjoy. Um, and something like that, you know, she's she thought she was at a bar. Or I don't I don't know what she did in her previous, you know, her, her, her previous life before arriving at the assisted living, but little moments like that would make me laugh and mm-hmm. um, connect with people. Um, and so... Yeah, just it. I, I'd come home and I'd talk to my mom. We'd be doing dishes and I'd tell her all the things that happened that day and what people said. Um, the one woman that thought she was at a resort and she'd come every day and say, this place is fantastic. You know, can I have a room here? Mm-hmm. I'd say, absolutely. <laughs> Let's take you down the hall. We've got one ready for you. Right, right. So um, mm. it's a difficult disease for sure, but um, there's also these little moments of things that happen that I think you can kind of enjoy and, and, yeah. uh, and enjoy with uh, the people themselves and, and with other caregivers mm-hmm. who experience funny things like that. Um, and I want to jump into the statistics. One more story maybe have you, you tell just to just to illustrate that um, because it, it does seem counterintuitive, finding joy in an Alzheimer's reality. But that's, we'll get into talking about that, the reality, you know, yeah. deal with them on their reality, right? Exactly. But there, there was a, a man named Bob that you talk about who uh, went around saying Merry Christmas. Yeah, so so that was also, um, Bob had um, osteoporosis so bad, he was hunched over this walker, and he would just kind of putt around the dining room. Um, he had a really interesting life story. He was somebody that I sat with sometimes, and he would talk to me about how he was a lawyer, and, and he had... Um, you know, developed, I think, the water system in the state of Syracuse, uh, New York, where I lived. And, and you know, he it, it dawned on me that he had had this fascinating career. And what I had saw, you know, as a teenager was an old man with a walker. But when you sat and talked to him, he had these life stories that were fascinating. He was so warm. He was just this fantastic person. 
And uh, there was a day where he got up from his chair and he started walking into the um, the place where we prepare the food, you know, going through the double doors into the kitchen, which he's not really supposed to be doing. So we're kind of trying to um, encourage him to come back out to the dining room. And he walked in and he said to every person working in there, Merry Christmas. And he shook everyone's hand and, you know, everybody went with it. We said, oh, Merry Christmas. You know, Bob, this is this is such a wonderful day. It's such a wonderful holiday. Um, you know, it was July in Syracuse. <laughs> it was hot. Uh, we had the air conditioning on. But um, it didn't matter for him. He was, I, I think he was just trying to express gratitude to people um, and 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 happiness. And so that's what came to mind for him. And so, you know, we went with that emotion. We didn't correct him and tell him that that it wasn't Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the moments like that, somebody with dementia may not be able to understand what's really happening, you know, the day, the time. Um, they may not remember people's names, even their loved ones, but they can still express emotions. And so that's where um, some of my research interests and um, experiences, you know, kind of, I, I try to focus on that. Let's let's look and see what the person's trying to say. Um are they scared? Are they worried? Are they happy? Um, and then, you know, maybe we can even elicit some of those things. So I know sometimes we'd walk into the dining room and somebody would be, you know, sitting there kind of quiet. And um, I would just do a little dance. I just kind of twirl and, you know, say good morning. And then they would be, you know, get a big smile. And they, they probably don't didn't remember who I was whoever this weird stranger is that walked into the room is smiling and twirling. And so I guess we're in a good mood. Mm. And, uh, there's, there's kind of ways to elicit those little moments of joy, um, as a caregiver, whether you're a paid caregiver or a family member. Yeah. The the story about Bob really struck me because you could, you know, you could enforce your own reality and say, Bob, it's not Christmas or, you know, join him in a sense in his reality and, and, and encourage the, the, the good emotions of, of gratitude. Right. Yeah, and you know, and when somebody has um, dementia, that they'll say things that that don't make sense. Um, it's sometimes it's a little bit like improv. You have to kind of go with, you know, they gave you the cue, and you have to kind of run with it. Um, you know, this example comes up a lot in assisted living. But uh, when somebody comes and says, "My husband's going to come pick me up right now," you know, where is he? And you know that their husband's dead. It's not your job to tell him to tell that woman that her husband has died. That doesn't do any good. It just makes her upset. Um, and so there's subtle ways to redirect somebody, um, maybe focusing on the emotion she's experiencing. It could be that she is lonely. She is confused. She doesn't know where she is. And so a natural response is somebody's going to come get me um, to, to try to um, direct her. Uh, it, it's hard. People get upset when they say, I don't want to lie. And, and I... I'd say, yeah, we don't like to lie, but sometimes small white lies or encouraging, you know, somebody to kind of focus on something else. Um, if you feel guilty about lying, um, is the way to handle it. But but certainly trying to correct somebody all the time is not going to work with dementia. They're never going to retrain their memory to understand that that reality. So you've got to you've got to be creative and go with what they give you. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if this is yeah, as well. This is I resonating just, with you. Yeah, I just yeah. had a thought. You know, that's one of this is a great example of how why we do the training, because in that in that uh, assisted living, if one person wasn't on the same page. If everyone didn't go along with that, one person could go take the wrong direction, right, for Bob. But also, we've actually changed the terminology for this. We actually call it a therapeutic fib now. Mm. So we take the guilt away from calling it a lie, right? 
So a therapeutic fit means that this is therapeutic and this is going to be good for them. And so we go with that. We don't continue down that road forever, but we, we, we use the therapeutic fib and then we refocus and redirect to something else. And what a great example that Bob is for that story, you know, mm-hmm. so. Therapeutic fib, okay, yeah. yeah take a bit. Because I imagine some people would have scruples. I think maybe I'd have scruples of uh, I'm lying to this person, right? Exactly. But you, you want to do the best for the person and telling the lady her husband's dead, that's not, <laughs> that's not gonna do her any good, right? Yeah. And I think Beth has a great point that you have to meet them in their reality. Um, the disease of Alzheimer's is actually destroying the brain. And I think that often is the hardest thing for families to understand. We want the person to be who they were, and it can be really difficult to accept the person that they are. Mm. And so I think programs like Dementia Dialogues, um, doing your own research, reading resources, helps you to understand the disease. And once you once you get that, then sometimes it's easier to accept how you can approach it. So having that fundamental understanding of what is Alzheimer's? What is Lewy body? What is frontotemporal de- dementia? Understanding the actual disease that's causing the dementia gives you the tools to help better understand and help better relate to your to your loved one. Mm. In fact, we, we use a saying in our classes. That we, we, we continue to counsel them to say, it's the diagnosis, not the person. The more we diag- The more we educate them about the different diagnoses, the more they educate them about the brain and the medicines, the more we can separate the person's behavior from the diagnosis. And this is simply just Parkinson's. This isn't Grandma Gladys anymore. This is Louie body. This isn't Grandpa Gladys anymore. So I think that's important to realize that we, we can focus the attention on still the enjoyable moment for those people. And that's what we try to teach our staff is that each day, each moment, we can still create enjoyable moment. And they still feel, they still love. So we focus on those things. That's especially important, I think, for for dementias, right? Alzheimer's is terrible in that way. It takes away the you know parts of the brain, and uh, and and takes away identity as well. So it's 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 in some ways not grandma anymore, right? Yeah. But but in important ways, it still is. Yeah. So yeah. Well, and I know with with you know personal experience with my mother, I had to learn the person that she had become. I still loved the mother that raised me, but I had to learn to know and understand the person that she had become. And that's a really difficult process for families to go through. And I find it remarkable that the state of Utah has identified this as an issue and is trying to put resources out there for families, for paid caregivers, so that they can provide the best care possible. You know, the the term is that there's a silver tsunami coming to hit the state of Utah as baby boomers start to age. Age is one of the single biggest risk factors for, for developing Alzheimer's. So because we are blessed to have our elders with us for a long time, that also is going to bring this higher incident, higher prevalence rate of Alzheimer's mm-hmm. disease. So the fact that our state is doing something to address it, I think, is pretty remarkable. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add, too, if, if somebody works in assisted living or um, in a nursing home, they probably get some training as part of their job. As any of us in a working environment, we, we get preparation for the job we're supposed to do. Family caregivers don't have any kind of natural preparation for this, and they're doing the bulk of the work. So so family caregivers uh, do the work for the majority of the time. It's a myth that people in America and people in Utah just put their old people in nursing homes. Uh, caregivers are doing you know upwards to 90% of the care with little to no training. And so um, that's where these efforts are really important. With it, the same kind of skills that we can teach a certified nurse assistant or an activities coordinator or an administrator of assisted living, 
or a memory care unit, we should be teaching those things to caregivers. And that's what these initiatives are doing. It's saying, there's no reason why you should know this. You know, you've never been exposed to this before. You you don't know that you're not supposed to tell your mother um, the, the correct answer and try to orient her to reality. And so um, really teaching people some tools, um, both why this is happening and what you can do for specific behaviors is really important. Um, so, so the initiative here is to get this kind of education into people's homes so they don't feel under uh, underprepared and overwhelmed when they're faced with this with a family member. I think that's a great point. Mm. The, the state plan for, for Utah identifies that 80% of dementia patients live at home. So it is a very small percentage of individuals who are being um, cared for by professionals. And it's 132,000 family caregivers throughout our state, which equals $1.8 billion of unpaid care. So when you think about the fact that this is a job that people didn't ask for, it's often a job they didn't expect, where do they turn to get those those tools and where do they turn to get the training? And Dementia Dialogues is one of those programs that can help them. Let's uh, pause the discussion there, take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, let's talk about Dementia Dialogues, talk about caregivers as well. Um, and we'll go down through, there's uh, four topics, four sessions, right? And then Dimension Dialogues, we'll, we'll kind of use that as a structure as we go along. We've, we've touched on some of these points, but we'll, we'll go back to these, these points. Uh, I'd love to hear your story. If you uh, have someone in your family who has dementia, maybe you're a caregiver at this point, um, uh, we'd love to get your question or comment uh, on the program today, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, toll free anywhere you're listening. Uh, or you can email us to upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. More following this break. This is Science by the Slice. Power in Numbers. USU biologist Will Pierce is using data from the National Science Foundation's massive National Ecology Observatory Network to look into the future. With information collected from the coast-to-coast network known as NEON, Pierce will use evolutionary history to address practical ecological challenges, including wildfire, pest beetle outbreaks in forests, and insect-borne diseases. This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, offering degree programs in mathematics and varied scientific disciplines. Details at usu.edu science. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, we're talking about uh, dementias uh, today, Alzheimer's, other diseases which uh, rob people of uh, parts of their brain. Um, and uh, Amy Anderson, uh, prior to the break, talked about a uh, silver tsunami, which uh, uh, you know, already a problem. Um, great number of people in the uh, United States and in Utah. So 5 million Americans, more than 5 million Americans have Alzheimer's disease. 30,000 people in Utah, and uh, Utahns have the highest rate per capita of the disease in the nation. And so there are some 152,000 family caregivers in Utah. So it affects the person, affects the uh, family, affects the caregivers, and uh, the numbers will likely just keep uh, growing. 
so the state of Utah, in 2015, Utah State Legislature declared Alzheimer's a public health crisis, directed the Utah Department of Health to coordinate and implement the state's response to this crisis. And as part of the state Alzheimer's plan, the Department of Health has been certifying structures in dementia dialogues. We'll give you some details on that and, uh, and talk about uh, some help and some resources as we go along here. We have with us Dennis Wildman, who's Alliance Director with uh, Sunshine Terrace. Amy Anderson, Director of Outreach at Sunshine Terrace. She's also a spiritual counselor with hospice there. And Beth Fouth is Associate Professor of Human Development and uh, Family uh, Studies. Studies Alzheimer's, um, dementias, and caregivers. Right. Exactly. Um, so let me let me just list off the topics here, and we'll we'll go go through these kind of as a structure. Topic one: of dementia dialogues. The basic facts: introduction to dementia. Topic two: keeping the dialogue going, communication skills. Topic three: safe environments and addressing challenging behavior. Topic four: now what do I do? Creative problem solving. Uh, so I guess I'll direct this to to Amy Anderson. Uh, dementia dialogues. This particular session in Cache Valley is already. You know, part way through. Correct. But uh, they're they're doing these statewide, and um, and so how to connect people with dementia dialogues or other resources? So sure, here locally, um, Sunshine Terrace, Dennis Wildman, and I have attended the dementia dialogue certification training, and so we've been running this class. We started it February twenty twentieth, and um, it runs on Wednesdays from three thirty to five p.m. Our last class will be on March thirteenth, but we do hold these courses quarterly. So we will be holding them throughout the year. So people can always give me a call or give Dennis a call if they'd like more information. Um, my number is 435-754-0233. And for information statewide, they should be in touch with the Utah office um, at the health department. It's the Alzheimer's and Related Dementia Program. And their number is 801 and um, that office consolidates all of the courses that are happening through the people that have been trained. I want to say there's, gosh, Dennis, what is it? Over 100 people throughout the state have been trained in dementia dialogues to teach the courses. So they're, they're throughout the state, Salt Lake, Southern Utah, St. George, et cetera. Um, but if people do want to find out where to, where to come up here in Cache Valley, they can call us or they can call the state office to learn more. And uh, so that's, that's good to know these dementia dialogues will be continuing Quarterly? Yes. yes. Yeah. So we and and states, places around the state. So just inquire at those numbers that Amy gave you, and uh, you can you can get involved in this uh, these four-week courses, right? Absolutely. Well, so, some people do five weeks. We've, we've adapted ours to okay. do four weeks mm-hmm. just because we find that that five-week commitment for caregivers can be really difficult. You know, you're trying to balance um, gaining the information and knowledge with still providing the care to your loved ones. So we've adapted ours to be a four-week a four week program, but statewide, okay. most of them are five weeks. Okay. I wanted to, uh, before we went on the air, Beth Fouth, we were, you were crunching some math here. So th- we, we know that 30,000 uh, people in uh, Utah currently have Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, and it's expected to go up to 42,000 by 2025. Yeah. So you're absolutely right that this is um, a growing um, concern. Um, and so we all can expect that if you don't know somebody with Alzheimer's or a related dementia now, you probably will, uh, a, a family member, a neighbor. And again, we like to get everybody to be comfortable with this disease, feeling competent that they know how to talk to somebody with a disease. Um, I'll mention that a lot of people don't necessarily identify themselves as a caregiver. And sometimes that's hard to get services to people. They, they think of themselves as a spouse. They're, they're a wife. Um, they're a husband. 
they're doing what they've always done for their spouse and in, in, in taking care of them. Um, or uh, let's say an adult child um, with a parent, um, they may not live with the parent. They may just be going in and checking in on them uh, several days a week. And so they think, well, I'm not really a caregiver. Um, and that doesn't disqualify you from any of the resources that we have in the state of Utah. Uh, you can um, just be a friend. You could be a neighbor and just want to learn more about the condition and how to help. Um, in addition to dementia dialogues, there's, there's other resources available. Um, every county um, is assigned to an area agency on aging office, and they have resources available um, where you can call, you can take some classes, have support groups. Um, there's also the Alzheimer's Association. Uh, they have um, crisis hotlines. If anybody's going through something in the moment that they can't handle, um, I absolutely encourage you to call the, call the hotline. They have trained uh, people to answer the phone and, and talk you through some problem solving. Um, so. Uh, what's nice about Dementia Dialogues is that it's comprehensive and it goes a little bit longer than just your typical, you know, sitting in for an hour and learning about the disease. At, at the minimum, we hope people get something, some kind of training. If they have a Dementia Dialogues uh, in their area, um, it's worth it. It's worth the time. It's it's a big commitment, obviously, for caregivers to get in the car and drive, potentially find um, somebody to supervise their loved one if, if that person needs uh, can't be left alone. Um, but it's also training that's pretty invaluable in helping people cope with the difficulties that come along with um, with with assisting or caring for somebody with these diseases. I think it's um, also important to understand that the individual who has dementia is more than welcome at our classes. I think that's something that a family makes that decision. But you know, knowledge is power, and people with uh, the early stages of dementia, they clearly understand what's happening to them. So for them to understand the progression of the disease, for them to understand how their family member can help better shepherd the whole entire family through this process is important. So although for some individuals bringing their loved one who has the, the disease that's causing dementia may not be appropriate, but for many people it is. And we would encourage people to not forget that that person is still a person. Mm -hmm. They still have capabilities. As, you know, as Dennis said, they still have that capacity to love and feel emotion, but they also have that ability to understand um, in those early phases of mild to moderate um, um, dementia. So I would encourage people, you know, when Call us and talk to us about it if you're up here in Cache Valley. Talk to, when you get numbers from the state. Call and ask those instructors um, what their feelings or their advice is. But, you know, we never want to isolate the individual and treat them like they don't matter. Mm -hmm. They do matter, and, and this information may be a benefit to them as well. I think sometimes um, these individuals, the caregiver, we want them to use the gift of discernment here that – we want them to know that the loved one's welcome to join us, but also if they also just need a respite and they want to come and speak freely and, and have an open discussion, that's part of these classes because we offer an awful lot of education, but part of us in our training is is that we also provide a supportive opportunity for them to open up and have dialogues, and that's part what the terminology comes from. Mm -hmm. And after the class, too, um, you know, as Beth mentioned, Area Agency on Aging um, offer caregiver support, and you can contact your local office. And here in Cache Valley, Dennis, why don't you speak about the caregiver support group that's yeah, we, here? Yeah, we've had a caregiver support group here for nine years now that we opened up, and I've run jointly with uh, Bear River Associated Governments. But twice a month on the second and the fourth Tuesday of the month, one o'clock down at Sunshine Terrace, we actually run a support group. And those are geared for psychoeducation, so we have an educational materials available. But more importantly is the support they gain from each other. And these have really become 
kind of a community for us. Amy and I run a peaceful healing class every Monday, a grief and loss class. So I think it's just important that sometimes taking that risk and coming and learning a little bit about these things, but also understanding there's hope and I'm not alone. Uh, Beth Pouth, I was was learning in your uh, TED Talk, and this is why Alzheimer's, I think, and other dementias are kind of scary to us. Um, both in prospect of, you know, what have I suffered this, and, and as a caregiver, as a family member. So as we know, Alzheimer's takes away the memory, but it also can change mood and yeah. change personality. Yeah, so so um, I think it's, I, I'll, I'll answer a question that you didn't ask, but a lot of people might be thinking, um, people say, what's the difference between Alzheimer's disease and dementia? It, here in this room, we're probably using them interchangeably, and there's a reason for that. Um, Dementia is a, we call like an umbrella term. There's a lot of different kinds of dementias that all function fairly similarly or they look similarly to to somebody, um, you know, so memory loss, um, changes in mood, changes in behavior. Now, what the underlying cause is differs. So Alzheimer's disease is a very specific disease. It's causing damage to the brain through um, the buildup of proteins and the, and the breakdown of proteins in the brain. Um, and they're very specific proteins. There's other um, conditions that have dementia as well. So Lewy body's dementia, um, it's a different protein um, that's happening, that's kind of building up in the brain in these deposits. And and in the end, what we're seeing is pretty similar kinds of behaviors. Um, it is important, actually, for people to try to get a diagnosis. And so if you have Lewy bodies or you have Alzheimer's or you have um, frontotemporal dementia, um, there's a little bit different implications for how they may care for you or what you can expect in terms of the changes in the brain over time. So I, I hope people are encouraged to try to seek a diagnosis if they're, if they're worried that they may have a dementia. Um, but but ultimately what happens with, with most or all of these conditions is um, mem- memory loss is the pronounced um, symptom. That's what most of us associate with Alzheimer's. Um, as that disease progresses through the brain, and it moves to, let's say, the frontal, the frontal part of the brain, um, frontal lobe, then you'll see changes in personality. That's where um, your brain sort of functions in decision-making. And so sometimes somebody with dementia may have been the sweetest, kindest woman who you know, never said a, a mean word about anyone. And as this disease moves into her frontal lobe, she may start cursing. She may start getting angry. Um, that's really difficult for families sometimes to understand uh, or, or to experience. I think if they understand why it's happening, that there are, there's damage to the cells of her brain that make it impossible for her to make a decision um, or uh, that are causing kind of the angry outbursts, then people are a little more patient in, in um, trying to handle that when it happens. So yeah, the, the disease progresses through the brain and affects different um, symptoms. And so eventually, if somebody lives long enough, they, it'll affect their, uh, the motor areas of their brain, so movement. Um, they may be confined to a wheelchair or a bed in a very late stage of the disease. Oftentimes, if somebody gets the disease when they're older, they may die from something else before the, the disease reaches that late stage. Um, but yeah, so it's not just, just memory problems. That's what we think of the most, and certainly it's the most pronounced symptom. It happens early in the disease, but there's other things to expect as well. Mm. One key thing that you you also said, this is we've talked a little bit about this. Um, people with dementia uh, usually can can still pick up emotional cues. That, that's still present. 
It is. They're not, they don't do it quite as well as somebody without dementia. There's some research I just learned about actually that came out of Brazil um, that showed that they, it's, that it's dampened the ability to recognize emotions or sometimes it's slightly off. But what's interesting is the, the basics. So they can recognize anger. They can recognize happiness. They can recognize when somebody's being very frustrated with them. And so that's important, again, in understanding some of their behaviors. If they feel that everyone in the room is ignoring them, they may be getting upset. If they think that the person is being very impatient with them and, you know, hurry up, get dressed, this is taking forever, then they may react um, very fr- in a frustrated way, uh, which is actually kind of an appropriate response, given that that's what, that's what they think is happening. Um, so, yeah, that, that's where sometimes the smile, the, the kindness from a caregiver, from a neighbor, from a friend makes a difference. Um, it, you, can, you can elicit some happiness and some joy from, from people, even momentarily, uh, if you engage with them in conversation. If you, if you smile, if, if you can, you give them a twirl or you know, put some music on and start dancing. And, and, and those things actually will um, often work. And except for very late stages, um, people will still respond um, with a smile. And so that's, again, where we're trying to, to not focus only on the negative uh, behavioral symptoms that someone has. Um, but also focusing on trying to promote some of the positive behaviors that somebody can can still express. Mm-hmm. And I think as we prepare yeah. the caregiver for that, it's mm-hmm. a great example why we do these educational pieces. We say the more tools they have available, the more accurately and appropriately they can intervene, right? But also just a little bit of self-awareness, too, is that as we educate them about the different diagnoses and different problems that come with those or challenges that come with those, the more we prepare them for that ahead of time, the more likely they'll respond appropriately. But also we give them a little bit of respite themselves and we kind of empower them and we remind them that they're not alone and we'll walk this journey with them. And that's part of Sunshine Terrace Foundation's way of giving back is that we offer community services like this. Hmm. I wonder, I'm just imagining here, but uh, if it's a family member, their personality has changed because of the memory loss and, uh, and the other things going on in the brain. Uh, but there's a lot of family history, right? Um, in in <laughs> I could see myself responding to the new person that dad has become um, just in the old ways that I've always responded. And if he's putting out anger, I put out anger. You know, I guess we, we have to have some awareness here. I'm going to pass that off to yeah. the social worker. So, <laughs> All right. Part, part of that's what I do is uh, I'm a certified social worker. And one of the things we look at is we look at family dynamics, we look at family structure. And part of that process is we help each individual walk this journey individually and collectively. But there's times where we just say some families aren't on the same page, right? We lovingly remind them that. And that's okay. But we try to help each individual walk that journey with the emphasis being on the patient or the client. And I think that's important for us to understand is that Amy said it well, is in the early stages of these diseases, they're, they're aware that something's changed and they just don't always know to what magnitude, correct? So I think that's also why we let the, the individual come to the class sometimes. But there are some times where the caregiver just needs a break. We always try to draw a parallel that we have our staff work eight hours and they go home. And then when they do that five times during the week and then they get two days off, right? What's important for us to acknowledge and validate is these caregivers are 24-7. They're not getting that break. And furthermore, there's a, there's a connection because it's family. 
So that's another way we provide support for them. And that's one of the things that we do down there at Sunshine Terrace is that we have that communication with them. And again, to catch on this dialogue, we're creating dialogue with the patient as well as the families. Hmm. I'll, I'll mention something too, something that a lot of people talk to me about um, is the sibling relationships that come up when you're caring for a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes there's one caregiver that becomes the primary caregiver. It's often somebody that lives the closest. It could be somebody that has a little bit more free time. Um, but there's, there's often one person doing the bulk of the work. And uh, the siblings, um, there, there can be some resentment. So either feeling from the caregiver that I'm doing too much and look at you get to go on vacation and I don't. Um, or even guilt from the siblings that's not providing the care. You know, you get to spend all this time with mom, and I don't get to do that. And so the the little sibling um, conflicts that ha- you had when you were teenagers, you might think that those are, um, that they've gone away. Uh, no, they, they, they tend to revisit um, in times of stress. And so uh, it's important if you are a, a caregiver or somebody caring for a parent, encourage your siblings to also attend some of these um, kinds of educational opportunities. It'll help them relate to you better. It will help them to probably offer some assistance and give you some respite and and help the family as a whole kind of function um, more holistically instead of really just focusing on the caregiver and the person that has the disease. So um, just wanted to have that plug because I, mm-hmm. I get that a lot. Like I I haven't fought with my sister like this since we were 17. Right. And it's like, uh, it's back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've seen those situations. Yes. We had a great little story with this. We had the matriarch, that which the, so the husband was the one with the disease, and the wife was attending, and she said, Mr. Wild, could we, could we introduce this to my family? And I said, yeah, let's. So we actually emailed this to, these uh, slides to the family members, and then they came down and we had a family meeting. And, and what a great opportunity for each of them to be heard, but furthermore for them to understand the diagnoses and the disease and some of the medications. And then they were that much more aware. The good part that came out of this is that each of the family members were more willing to intervene and help mom, and they each took their turn more equitable as we went forward. So it's a good example. Yeah, sometimes I could see people would hang back because they were there maybe afraid they don't know enough, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So so knowledge is power, and, and people will be – um, pe- people that have never been around somebody with Alzheimer's, even if it's their mother, they, they may not know how to respond and they get scared and, and they, they pull back. That's a natural response. But um, recognizing that, you know, you, you can sort of become comfortable uh, with somebody with Alzheimer's disease by being around them and, and by understanding how to respond appropriately. So um, it, is, it is a tool that we can teach people. It's not something that you're just gifted with being good with um, older people or good with people with dementia. It's a skill like anything else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's so important when we when we look at how this course is structured that we do, we talk first about the basic facts so people have an understanding of the disease. But then we talk about communication because, you know, obviously communication is how we express our needs and our desires and our emotions. So as that area of the brain is impacted, people need to learn what do I need to do to be able to keep conversation, to keep that communication going with my loved one. But then it moves on to environmental issues because, you know, we always say the bright line for for caregiving is always, is somebody safe? And so that often falls onto the environment. So understanding what do I need to do to keep the environment safe for my loved one and safe for me as a caregiver, you know, is kind of the next step. So you figure out how to talk, to how do you communicate with somebody? Then you figure out how do I make sure that this environment stays safe, the impact of and also how the environment can impact the person with dementia. So safety, but also 
what can I do to minimize? Um, you know, someone with dementia, their vision becomes impacted. So there's certain things that people need to understand about their home that can make it a safer environment um, and also allow that person to communicate better. Um, and still, too, we want to keep the person as independent as possible. So we talk about within that environmental construct, how do we make sure that they can still do as much for themselves? We all need to feel a sense of purpose and worth, and that's often our own self-care. So these are all tools, as Dennis said, tools for the tool belt that we can give caregivers so that the person is safe, but that also the caregiver um, allows them to do what what is safe. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Yeah, right. So sometimes people with dementia will, will be... Um, very overwhelmed by an overly stimulating environment. So if the music is loud and the lights are bright and there's too many things in front of them, they have a hard time focusing on exactly what it is that they're supposed to be doing or where they are. Um, A great example a caregiver told me was um, her mom was having a hard time eating and was not, um, she would stare at the plate and they ended up trying to kind of feed her and they they realized, I think through trial and error, that she was kind of um, overwhelmed by the number of things on the plate and how to use a utensil. So when they took the plate away and they would give her one item at a time, um, and they actually didn't require her to use a utensil, she ate just fine. And so things like that, little techniques, little, um, I guess, tricks that that other caregivers can share or that you can learn from courses like this are important. Again, that's not something that you would necessarily know. You wouldn't know that somebody may may not eat because they're confused or or maybe the reason why they're behaving a certain way is because they're in pain and they don't know how to express that anymore. And so there's techniques that you can use with a person to try to figure out, you know, what the underlying problem is. Um, and again, those are all skills that can be taught and encouraged in, in, in education. Let's take another break. When we come back, our last segment on this uh, topic, we're talking about Dementia Dialogues. It's a, uh, a course to, uh, to help you uh, care for the person in your life with Alzheimer's disease or related uh, dementias. And um, we'll uh, talk more about this when we come back. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members. And Cash Arts presents Jake Shimabukuro, the American ukulele virtuoso and composer, combining elements of jazz, blues, funk, and other genres. Monday, March 11th at 7.30 p.m. at the Ellen Eccles Theater. Ticket and seating information at cacharts.org. On the next Radio Lab, going to Galapagos is like going to Mecca. It's the place that taught us about evolution. Green mangroves, black lava flows, pink flamingos. Wow. Now a harbinger for the end of nature. We're radically remaking the world. That forest was 100% gone. And how far are we willing to go to save it? We're God. We might as well get good at it. Galapagos on the next Radio Lab. Coming up next at 10 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. The composer of this piece gave us a warning. Don't take this music too seriously. It's a piano concerto that's borderline slapstick. A concerto with a sense of humor in concert on the next performance today from APM. Tonight at 9 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah today. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about uh, dementias uh, and uh, 
related to disease, Alzheimer's disease, related diseases, dementias, and their impact on our communities and our families. Uh, there are some resources. We'll uh, point you to those resources again as we uh, conclude the program. And uh, one great resource that's uh, happening is uh, Dementia Dialogues. This is a uh, course designed to educate families and individuals caring for persons with Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. And uh, those are happening uh, quarterly in Cache Valley and other places around the state. Um, so, Amy Anderson, maybe this would be a good point to direct people again to where they can go, Cache Valley and uh, statewide. Sure. So statewide, contact the Alzheimer's and Related Dementia Program at the Department of Health. Their phone number is 801-538-6490. Um, they collect information on the, the courses that are offered um, throughout the state. And then here in Cache Valley, you can contact us at Sunshine Terrace Foundation. Um, you can give me a call at my office, which is 435-754-0233. All right. Uh, that's, uh, that's great. And so we've talked about a lot of these uh, topics. Um, basic facts, introduction to dementia, keeping the dialogue going, communication skills, safe environments, and addressing challenging behavior. And maybe we can talk a little bit more about that, addressing uh, challenging behavior. We, we always start our conversation with what, let's define what challenging behavior is, because what even the three of us being professionals, we might define that differently. So we, we clearly help families understand, are they safe or not? We kind of draw a line, imaginary line in the sand and say, you can give me a lot of questions as a clinician, but are they safe or not? And also part of this is understanding the disease process that it's going to be changing based on the process and based upon the um, time of they've had this. I think it's important that they understand those kinds of things. So. There was a, a research project that we did at Utah State with caregivers in Utah, and these were caregivers that had, um, they, were, they were seeking services in the very early stage. We asked them, um, what do you think is causing these behaviors? So the, the challenging behaviors of somebody with dementia, the vast majority of them said, I think they're doing it on purpose. And if you think that, it would be infuriating that somebody is repeating the same question over and over again, or is... Um, you know, in a really difficult mood um, or doesn't have the, um, doesn't seem to have any kind of effort or energy to do anything anymore. So, so we um, have to teach people that it is not something they're doing on purpose. Uh, it's something that is caused by damage to the brain. So fundamentally, these behavioral symptoms that a person has are caused by changes to neurons and nerve cells in the brain. And that's not something that as a caregiver we have control over. Uh, so when you, when you try to take a step back and remember they're not doing this to frustrate you, to infuriate you, uh, that there's, there's a reason for this, then we can move on and say, okay, now that we know they're not doing it on purpose, now how can you respond? Hmm. So one of the um, key points in this section as we teach it, um, for each section we always have goals for that for that. Uh, segment. And for this one, we help people identify what our challenging behaviors, as Dennis said, for each one of us, those can be really different. And then how to identify the possible causes. Um, one of the interesting things that I learned in coming to this, um, through this training was that 98% of aggressive behavior can be explained. So it's usually an outside stimuli. It's our own behavior as a caregiver that is triggering this. So by giving people an understanding of how to observe, how to monitor. Um, they themselves can understand what those possible causes are and do things to intervene to prevent them. So, you know, although there's some things we can't control because of the damage to the brain, 
how we interact with somebody and how we're observing and monitoring them, we might be able to come to an understanding of how to better manage that behavior. Mm. I've got a good example of that too, Amy, that um, one of the most challenging behaviors a lot of caregivers talk about is bathing, um, trying to trying to bathe the, their loved one, um, not only because it's physically difficult if you have to assist people in and out of a shower or a tub, but, but also sometimes uh, a person with dementia will become very combative and aggressive. And... Um, you know, you have to sit there and think about this. Why? Why, why would a person become particularly angry um, during bathing? Well, th- somebody's taking their clothes off, you know, and it's actually a pretty natural reaction to try to swing at them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, there are even techniques for helping with bathing, sometimes giving people more privacy during bathing, um, covering them with a towel while they're bathing, so, so making them feel that they're less vulnerable. Um, there, there's techniques that we can teach to try to get get through some of those problems. But again, if you understand why that aggressive behavior is happening, it, it makes you feel, um, I think, a little more comfortable with addressing it instead of um, just being upset about the anger and aggression the person is displaying. So part of this is, <clears throat> I'm sorry, the training is, you know, you're giving people hope. So if you can understand that there's usually meaning behind the behavior, so then there's usually a cause and a solution and it's your job to discover that cause and solution, um, to think that there's a solution, that there's a way to solve this, I think can give those caregivers hope that um, difficult situations can be managed. Mm. And it's interesting, that's why we combine three in f- this section three with the environment and challenge behavior because what we do sometimes is we wanna stay busy so we do things. And we use the example of just moving the couch is something that we want to do that's going to be helpful, but that can be disruptive to a person who has patterns. The other example we use is changing, the, just changing the looks of the shrubs out in front of the house can not only change the, is this still my house, but also it, they view that differently, just changing that behavior So in that environment. So we, we try to give them more tools and be more aware of those kind of environmental factors. We just have uh, about a minute uh, left. Uh, I'd like to end where, where you ended your TED Talk, Beth Falth. Uh, you, you you said we shouldn't just manage behaviors. We we can experience joy. Exactly. By yeah. by I guess getting in tune with the person's emotions, trying to match those, or you know understand that they can still feel emotional cues. Yeah, exactly. So I think I use the term we we set the bar higher. Um, it's not just about managing the difficulties, and certainly that's a huge role that caregivers have. Um, but it's also trying to identify moments of joy and uh, moments where you feel connection with somebody, recognizing that may not happen all the time. It may um, be infrequent, but when it does happen, really appreciating that you just shared a moment with someone. Um, you know, again, you enjoyed a piece of music together. You um, you smiled and laughed at a joke, even if the joke didn't make any sense. Uh, and so um, it, it's encouraging, I think, for caregivers to understand it's not all just dealing with the negative, dealing with a loss, dealing with the... Um, the behavioral problems. Um, it is that, but it's also enhancing um, the the time you have with this person in the moments you have with this person to try to sort of maximize the, the time you have together, the quality of life you have together. Uh, so Amy Anderson here at the end, uh, maybe the, the contact points again sure. for people. So uh, statewide, 801-538-6490 and locally, 435-754. 033 here in Cache Valley. All right. And these Dementia Dialogues are being uh, offered uh, quarterly. 
around the state. So we have had with us uh, Amy Anderson, Director of Outreach and a Spiritual Counselor at the Hospice at Sunshine Terrace. Thanks so much for coming in. You're welcome. Thanks for having us, Tom. Dennis Wildman is Alliance Director at Sunshine Terrace. Thanks. Thank you so much for having us. And Beth Fouth is Associate Professor of Human Development and Family uh, Studies. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Tom. So much. And you can go to those contact points and, um, and find out uh, much more. Um, uh, coming up tomorrow, we'll uh, learn about Native American uh, food and culture with uh, Native American chef Nephi Craig. He'll be with us in studio. That'll be interesting. Hope you'll join me then. Thanks for listening today. Thanks to Wimmer's Sewing Vacuum and Bike Dealer, family-owned for 98 years and located on Main Street in Logan, for becoming the newest Pledge Drive sponsor at UPR. You can highlight your company and gain valuable exposure by sponsoring a day during our spring pledge drive, March 21st through the 28th. For more information about how to support UPR through a sponsored day or challenge incentive, contact Katie Swain at 435-797-3107 or katie.swain at usu.edu. Why is the world so cynical? Why is the default mode the ironic mode? If you get a group of young people in a room and you start talking about this problem, it just comes flooding out how hungry people are for an irony-free interaction with another human being. Next time on To the Best of Our Knowledge from PRX. Sunday morning at 9 on Utah Public Radio. listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFN Logan, also heard at upr.org. Utah Public Radio would like to thank Community Nursing Services for becoming one of our newest sponsors. For more information on how you can become a sponsor, email debbie.andrew at usu.edu. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to download our UPR app so you can listen anywhere. Hi, I'm Steve Williams, host of Jazz Time here on Utah Public Radio. I hope you'll join me Sunday evenings for a journey through the world of jazz music, from ragtime to bop, from Havana to Logan, Utah. Tune in for a bit of history, commentary, the occasional interview, and of course, all that jazz. Jazz Time, Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock on Utah Public Radio.